0: Well, this is actually going to be, I've kind of decided not to, not to get into a ton of of detail. You know, most of our classes that we have on the website for people to listen to or series that we have are like 95 parts or whatever. And I thought it'd be good to have uh, some, some smaller ones. This is the 12th session of, um, of this class. And I think I'm going to wrap it up today, um, not because there's not more to say. In fact, a lot of things that I've touched on in this class, I've gone into a lot more detail in other series and and uh especially the priesthood and the kingdom and well all of it, the Exodus, all of it. I've talked about and I mean maybe I've gotten into slightly different aspects of it in this class, but my my goal has been kind of to set set out a general kind of overview of what it is that God wants. What is his purpose? What is his plan? and and so that's kind of what uh morning what um <clears throat> I've been trying to do here without trying to get into a, a whole lot of detail. So I'm going to I'm going to wrap this class up this week and then start something new probably next week and I will I'll put it on the website under the web classes. You know, I'll put the new title up there. Um and then I'll also send out an email to folks that have been joining on, so it won't be a mystery. But I, I'm still kind of trying to decide between two or three different things to do, so I haven't I haven't worked that out yet. But anyway, so um, so what I want to do today is just is kind of conclude by reviewing some of the things we've talked about, kind of trying to wrap everything back up into a nice little package and saying a couple more things about the kingdom of God maybe at the end so let's go back let's just go back for a minute here to 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 the beginning some of the things that we've seen and said, and I want to try to grab everything every main kind of important category thing we've said and bring it under the banner of um, of God's eternal purpose I mean make it make it clear in our hearts if I can. Uh, why these things, at least in my heart, are so important to understanding God's purpose. The first thing we talked about is that that God actually, that, that creation exists because God wants something. And I know that sounds super simple and basic, but I think most of us just kind of, we, we, we get born into this world, we, we we start thinking about God, and we don't really think about the fact that He wants something. We just think that he made the world, you know, we'll, we'll give him credit for making the world. And, and yet we kind of think that he just is kind of upset about this and like this isn't what he planned. And or maybe he's just kind of waiting to see what we do or, you know, just kind of holding back the uh, the meteorite, you know, from destroying the planet. Just kind of waiting to see what we're going to do next. Or I don't know, you know, like that's not it at all. He created with something in his heart. He wanted something and it's a really really good idea for us to for us to make that question become the the foremost question in our heart. God, what who are you and what do you want? If if that is where our heart is continually turning and direct it, directing itself, then God will find room in our hearts to reveal the truth. Most of us go on blindly throughout our lives uh, without hardly thinking of that. And when we do think of God, it's because we want Him to involve Himself in our purposes rather than our losing what we call life to to be governed by His purpose. The second thing, we talked about that a little bit. Then we went into talking about how the thing that God wants... Again, all of these are so simple, but I'm telling you, we don't really, you know, in a true and false test, the church, I think, would get a lot of these right. But they, but we don't really believe them. We don't want to believe them. And the second thing is that we said is that God, God's purpose is spiritual. God is spirit. This is what Jesus told the Lady of the Well. God is spirit, and therefore he wants worship that is in spirit and in truth. And we like to quote that verse, or lots of verses like that, but there is so much implied with that, with that statement or with that reality. If God is spirit and wants us to enter into what is a spiritual reality, a spiritual purpose, well that means... That the physical, natural things are the copies, the figures, the testimonies. They're the arrows that point to uh, that realm. Or you could say they're the tutors, as Paul says in Galatians chapter 3, that bring us to or lead us to in, in many ways. At least the Old Covenant was designed in that way. That or you could say they're the invitations. They're the things. The natural things are not the reality itself. They're not the purpose but they are the pictures, the paintings, the, the testimonies, the living uh, symbols and shadows of spiritual things. And and if we're going to experience anything of the true purpose, then we need to let the Lord deal with our hearts in such a way that we're able to see beyond. This is called the revelation of Christ or the opening of the eyes of your heart or the, the seeing of things which are unseen or the looking not at those things which are on the earth, which but those things which are above it the lord has to deal with our heart in such a way that that the the things that are substance become more real to us than the things that are shadows that the that the that the spiritual reality becomes the thing in which we're living that we're seeing knowing experiencing and then we can bear a testimony of those spiritual eternal Realities in the natural realm, because we have natural bodies, obviously, and it changes how we act and it changes how we relate, and all of that 's true but the but the purpose itself is spiritual it 's a spiritual experience it 's not natural god doesn 't have, and I know that this is why when I start like making statements like this that are a little bit more more bold. Or a little bit more connecting the dots for people. This is where people start to get offended. But I don't think that you can say rightly that God's goals are natural. I don't think that he has natural... I think he has spiritual goals w- that, that that involve a, a natural, a people that are in natural bodies. Okay? But I don't think his goals are for, you know, such and such government to take over this country and this war to be won by this group of people and this building to be built in honor of that saint and all this stuff that we think that God's trying to do. God's purpose is, I shouldn't even use plural, God's purpose, although there are many things gathered into that purpose, the purpose is singular. There's many perspectives and and pictures of that purpose, the purpose is, is very single. All natural things that were created by God came out from the spiritual and point back to it. It's like a big boomerang. That's what the natural creation is. It comes out. It's like a shadow. It comes out. What does a shadow do? Well, it came out in a sense. It came out from the solid object. And, 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 and yet, uh, it, it always points back to it too. If you, if you can see the shadow, the substance isn't far behind. Or isn't 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 far away? If you can see the shadow, then you can also see something of the shape or the movements or the reality of the substance. And what's it? What's the real? You know, you don't really understand the shadow until you see the thing casting the shadow. But the shadow is there to point, in, The shadow is there to point uh, to to that reality. And so, the 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 earth that God created, both the natural, the old creation and the old covenant, are natural things. And of course they feel more real to us because we're first born into the natural. We're first born of a woman. We're first born of a natural seed. A seed that is um, governed by sin and we've talked about all that. But We're first born of the natural and first natural things are the things that we learn with natural senses and natural sight. But we are then born of the spirit and meant not to continue seeking purpose and relevance and identity and and, and life in the realm of the shadow, but to begin to find it in the realm where God's purpose exists. And, And that's just, again, that's just one of these really... Simple things that I think people believe as an idea, as a concept in the church, you know, um, but I, I don't think that that's something that people really believe, really, really know or want to know because it makes so much of what we're doing in the natural realm that we call spiritual completely invalid. It makes it not only invalid, it makes it contrary to God it makes it a tower of babel man seeking to establish his own way his own tower heavenly structure heavenly tower heavenly reality identity that 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 god looks down and says that is that is contrary to my purpose and i'm going to destroy it so The natural testimony does not point to yet another, doesn't point to a natural purpose. It's not how it works. The natural points to the spiritual. The whole New Testament is telling us that there has been a change from the natural to the spiritual, from from the external to the internal. That's the coming of the New Covenant. There was laws that were written on tablets of stone. There's now laws that are written on the tablets of the human heart. There was a kingdom that was external in a natural land. There is now a kingdom that you should not look for with your natural eyes because it's within you. There was a circumcision that was external. It was physical. There is now the circumcision that is done without hands in the human heart. That's what the whole New Testament. Jesus is constantly talking about those things. And the reason that he's trying to... um, always point to the to the spiritual and the internal is because that's where that's where and that's how we experience him and that gets me to the next thing that we talked about that Christ himself is the substance and an essence of all spiritual things he himself is the fulfillment of everything if you want to experience god's purpose then you've got to know and experience Jesus Christ. There's nothing of God's purpose that you'll find outside the boundaries of Jesus Christ. Not one thing. You should never look outside of Christ for life, for love, for truth, for purpose, for anything. God has not ever promised anything for us to experience that is not Uh, An aspect of his son. Not one thing. All of the promises of God are yes and amen in him. Not just because of him, not through him, but in him. They're in him. That's where they are. All of the blessings are in Christ. That doesn't mean that they're natural and somehow in him. That means that they're him. They're not just in him, they're as him. They're him. He is. What were the blessings? What were the promises? Well, there was a promise of a, of a of an incredible increase. There was a promise of a victory. There was a promise of a harvest. There was a promise of freedom from slavery. There was a promise of glory. There was a promise. I mean, you could go through all the promises. What are these things? What Christians do is we take those things. Oh, we don't realize we're doing this, but we actually kind of rob Christ of those things. Put them in other external f- things, or religious things, which are also external, and and we try to find the, the the fulfillment of these promises in the wrong realm and in the wrong man. We 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 put the promises of God. We claim them. We we make little Bible bookmarks. That that I used to have one of these. That's why I know. that that talk about all the promises of God and how they apply to me as a natural man and we claim those things and look for those things and fight for those things and argue about those things when the only place that we're ever going to find the fulfillment of the things that God is, is, is wanting and is promising is in and as Jesus Christ. Okay? God does not offer you... Jesus Christ, plus a bunch of things, and if you if you have any light working in your heart whatsoever, you would never dream of wanting anything besides an ever increasing knowing and experiencing of Christ. What could you? What do you want? Do you want? A, do you want Christ and a big bank account? I mean, do you want? Do you really want Christ and anything I mean really when when every natural good thing is nothing more than just a dim everything everything good in the earth has borrowed good, goodness it has reflective goodness it has only the goodness of a shadow it's the goodness of the moon the moon is a good light when there's absolutely no light but it doesn't even have its own light it's a reflection of the light of the sun it's like saying, I want to hold on to this, this, uh, you, know, this you know, you climb up a, uh, on a cliff and you look out over, I don't know, the, the, the Grand Canyon and, and the moonlight and you're saying, you know, I want to hold on to this view when, when the sun is about to rise, you know, when you could actually see so much more and experience so much more. And, and the moonlight is actually just the sunlight anyway, but it's sunlight reflected. It's a dim version how could you want to hold on to shadows of goodness in, in in the place of the one who is their fulfillment? So, God wanted something. That thing that he wants is spiritual. Christ is the substance and reality of it. And yet it works in a people. It works in this thing that he creates. And that's the way we spent some time talking about how if if I were to just define the the, the purpose of God in a few words, <clears throat> I'd have to say that it is this thing that He makes. He makes it in a very special way. He makes it through the death, burial, and resurrection of His Son. But He makes it. He made it, and it's this environment. It's a it's a people. It's a land. It's an environment. It's a body. It's a kingdom. Whatever you want to call it. It's it's this thing that didn't exist and now it does. He made it. Okay. And he made it to be a living recipient. He made it to receive his son, to experience the revelation of his son, and to glorify his son. He made it to be filled with Christ. It's the only thing that God has ever made. That can actually be filled with the glory of God. It's the only thing. I mean, natural things can bear a certain amount of natural glory. And that, that is to say, give off something of the, of the self-revelation of God. But they cannot really contain the glory of God. Nothing can do it. People talk about the glory of God coming in buildings. Impossible. God's glory doesn't dwell in air. It doesn't dwell in, in bricks. You can have a manifestation of, of power in a building. You can have the Spirit of God maybe touching or healing or whatever in a building. But if you want to talk about real glory, in the Old Testament, it was a cloud filling a natural building. In the New Testament, you are that building. And the glory is the very person, life, nature of God himself filling your soul. That's what he wants. Now he testified that to, to, to that reality in a whole bunch of different ways. But, but really, what does God want? I believe you could say it, it simply, and, and of course the Holy Spirit needs to make this a billion times larger in your heart. But you could say it like this. He wants the increase of Christ. Christ. He wants a corporate body for his son. He wants a land that is governed by and expressive of a certain nature. A reign of life. He wants this thing. Why don't you go ahead and jot that. He wants this this thing that, um, that receives all that he gives and becomes not not more gods or more Christs, but becomes partakers of that nature and bearers of that glory. He wants a people that will actually receive from him all that he is and has. And that's the love of God. That's, what, that's why Christ is the love of God. Christ is the giving of all that God has. How does God love you? Well, he gave you his son. You know, he didn't give you his son... Because he loved you it's not and I'm not saying you know, there might be truth in that statement too, but that's not really how the Bible describes the love. the love isn't a feeling that motivated an action the love is the giving of Christ. Christ is the love of God how much did how much does God love you well if you can measure Christ, then you can measure the love do you see what I'm saying how much how you know, does God love me? Yes, how does he love me well He gave me a death that I couldn't die. A life that I couldn't live. He gave me a nature that I didn't have. A light that was completely foreign to me. The mind of his son to operate in me. The purpose that I couldn't even come close to if I wanted to. He gave me all things in Christ as Christ. There is the love of God. The love of God is the giving of of a son. And so... But he doesn't just give you Christ so that you can hold on to him like a like a little seed in dry ground. He gave you gave you Christ so that that seed would 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 break up that ground, put down deep roots, and transform your soul into the the harvest of that seed. We, we talked about here that that uh, the, the primary picture. That God, the primary tool that God uses to describe and testify of that purpose is, in general terms, it's, it's types and shadows, which are it's just another word to say, I don't know. Types and shadows, to me, I mean, I, I use the word all the time, I use the phrase all the time, but it, it's just, it's just, it's not, it shouldn't be like a theological term for us. It's just pictures. Everything in the natural realm, even our words, to some to some extent, are sha- I mean, w- words. Can only describe things, but they can't actually communicate the reality of things. We we always we always struggle with that when we're trying to describe spiritual life, because words always fall short. They're not. I can't actually take the thing that I'm seeing in Christ and put it in your heart. I can just use words. Words are weak, but they're they're not true communication. But neither is a sunrise in the morning. It, it's a picture of something. It's it, you know it doesn't just make plants grow or make it easy to see when you're driving. It's a picture of something God created. And, and yet it falls short it, it, and, and so did the tabernacle and so did the sacrifices and, and, and so do uh, trees that that die and come back to life again or so to speak in the, in the spring and bear an increase and all of these things are testimonies testimonies, testimonies, all of them but there's one testimony that God established that he uses I think more than any other I mean there's a testimony in a caterpillar and a cocoon and a butterfly there's an amazing testimony there but there, he didn't use that a whole lot there's one testimony that he used more than any other and that testimony is Israel Israel my son and we, we spent a week or two talking about that Israel what is Israel it's the picture of of a corporate body of Christ. It is the thing that he creates through the death of the lamb. Many people baptized into that one death. A multitude die in one lamb and then one new man comes out. Go tell Pharaoh that Israel is my son. Not my sons. Israel is my son. Israel is the corporate body. The many that live by the life of one. The, the many who are not trying to copy the one, but the many who become the living vessel of the one. And, and so Israel comes out of death and uh, you know, and you have to understand that Israel has all from God's perspective, Israel's always been the same thing. It's always been Christ living in a people, first in types and shadows, now in spirit and truth. But Israel is my son. And and Israel, Israel came forth in a very specific way. We spent I think we spent a week or so talking about uh, that, that Israel didn't just happen when a bunch of people had the same beliefs. That's what we think about the church today. And when I talk about Israel in case people are new, I'm not talking about the the place in the Middle East. I'm talking about the um, I'm talking about the corporate body that was created by God through Christ to glorify himself. Which is what Israel, natural Israel was in the old covenant. And the new creation, Paul says in Galatians six, is the, the Israel of God today is created to do now. Created in Christ. Created created by being baptized into a death and brought forth into a a life a, a relationship. And then we spent a couple weeks talking about okay, so God made this corporate body, but what is it? What is, you know, that many people in the church will say, well, I'm a Christian, and I know Christ lives in me. Okay, that's true. If you are really a Christian, Christ does live in you. But what is he doing there? Why is he there? What did God, what kind of relationship did God establish? with you and his son. What's he doing with you? What's he want? And we don't know the answers to that question. We 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 think that, you know, Jesus is in me and what does he do? Well, he, you know, kind of coaches me through life or he helps me feel his presence when I'm sad or um I talk to him when I'm driving. Well, that's fine. But that's not a description of the relationship. There's a very specific thing. There's a very specific reason why God put His Son in your soul. What is, that, what is that reason? Well, it's described to us in the priesthood. Again, all this to me is tied into the purpose of God. He wants something. It's spiritual. He, and yet he, he creates this natural testimony of it. A natural people who He then offers to become a spiritual people. But a natural, <laughs> a natural people who paint pictures of and give testimonies of spiritual realities, and 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 yet the the, the whole thing is pointing to a spiritual corporate people, um, and 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 how does he relate to that people? Jesus Christ is in you. What is he doing there? Well, the priesthood, the the books of Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers describe that relationship to us. And I I divided it into three different things. If you remember, I divided it into worship, ministry, and purification. And I think we spent like a week on all, all three of those. But Christ is in you to create what is true worship to his Father, which is his own fragrance, his own offering, his own sacrifice working in you, us becoming living sacrifices, us becoming the fragrance of Christ unto God. He is in you to minister and feed his own body, which is true ministry, not not the many man-centered and man-made versions of that that exist in the world today, but the true offering of life, the true feeding of the sheep, the true giving of and ministering of the measure of Christ that is working in us to his body. And all those pictures are there in, this, in, the, um, in the priesthood. And then purification, uh, which, is the, which is the transformation of the soul, the removal from us of everything that is not him working in us. The purification, everything you see in the priesthood, everything that comes out of flesh is sin. Everything that comes out of that wrong man is unclean and has to be separated and, and, and cleansed and removed before the believer can enter back into fellowship with the tabernacle. God is transforming this people. He's removing from them the traces of the... Uh, the Adamic man, the unrenewed mind, he's cleansing. He's, so uh, that's um, that's why that's that's what he created. He created a relationship, and he shows us what Christ, the High Priest, is doing in the midst of his people. Again, creating worship, ministry, and purification or transformation. And yet that relationship is uh, I, I described it as the what that 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 then comes into the why. First God dealt with Israel about a priesthood. First he defined the relationship. And and he did not start with the kingdom. He started with the priesthood. He did not start with the increase and the glory. He started with Teaching them, defining in them, um, defining for them how he sees them, how he relates to them, who they are for him, what he created. But all of that was for a why. The what was the definition of the relationship. The why was the kingdom of God. And, And this thing that he created, this relationship that he made, a relationship that exists to glorify God, to feed other people the, the life of Christ, to transform the soul. His desire was that that thing that he made, that, that the nature of that relationship, that worship, that fragrance, that new man would then enter into a specific place, which is Canaan, a picture of of your soul, a picture of, a hostile environment that by nature is something very contrary to God, very hostile to God. And yet the seed of God goes into it and begins to enlarge the boundaries of, of the what the boundaries of that, of that, that people that are becoming in themselves, the true worship of God, the true increase of Christ, the true transformation of the soul he brings that into a land. And and from some types and shadows, the land is a picture of you can see the land is us coming into a Christ and our rest in Christ. And from other pictures, it's it's Christ coming into us. But in either case it talks about the, the union of Christ and the soul. The relationship there that, that has an increase and a glory. But but that's what we got to last time and um <clears throat> and if I were to I mean, all of, all of what I said this morning, which was kind of more or less a review of, of what we've said in this class, all of it leads to one thing, and it's the thing that has been just just on my heart more than any other thing recently. It all, all of this was with a view to what God called the kingdom of God," or the kingdom of heaven the kingdom of heaven or, or a kingdom of priests because it's the, it's that priesthood relationship that goes in there and then has its increase that's why it's called a kingdom of priests but everything that God and I think and I think I mean you could you could step back and you could say does God what, what did God create you could say well he made a bride well that's true well he made a harvest of, of a seed well that's true too well he, there's lots of ways you can look at it you made a, a new Jerusalem well that's true but I think more than any other, I mean, Jesus didn't show up and announce the arrival of the bride. He, he might have mentioned it. He does mention it. Uh, you know, the, he does describe his coming and his, you know, the bridegroom and the bride. Uh, he, he does mention in a few places, John four and other places, that, that it has to do with the harvest. But more than any other thing that Jesus said. That he announced the arrival of a kingdom. That's really what he talked about, and that's what he told his disciples to go out and announce, not only to announce with their mouth, but to announce with their works, with their, I mean, their, their, their miracles. Everything that they did with, their, with the power of the Holy Spirit, coming out of their mouth and coming out of their hands, was a, was a proclamation of the kingdom of God. It was a natural, either a description or a demonstration. Demonstration and power over demons and power over sickness or whatever, uh, or, or a description coming out of their mouth of that reality that was was going to be far greater than just casting out demons and watching them come back. You know, uh, healing sicknesses and then watching those people grow old and die. No, it was a kingdom that wasn't just going to touch the natural realm. It was a kingdom. That was going to cause the human soul to become the territory of Christ's increase. Now, if that doesn't strike you right now, you know, revisit this in another year or six months or whatever, and and until the Lord's you know dealing with your heart and this reality, because I feel like this is this is really it. What is God's purpose? Well, it's a kingdom. Not, not a kingdom of words, because Christians talk about the kingdom of God as though it is anything that has to do with what is called Christianity. Paul says, the kingdom of God... I wrote down the verse here, 1 Corinthians 4.20. For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. And that doesn't mean... Well, what is that power? People, uh, they, they're so quick to, to, to say that they understand that power well it's the power of signs and wonders or it's the power of a growing ministry or it's the power no it's the power of it's I like how Hebrews says it it's the power of an indestructible life there's the power it's the power of the resurrection it's the power that works in me more than I could ask or think Paul says it's 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 the power of the Son of God. And what is he doing? He is subject in you. He is subjecting all things to himself. He enters into a land that is your soul. And that land is an environment created by God for his own glory. It's something he made. He made it in the beginning and it immediately got you know filled up with another nature and another kind it, it immediately believed a lie ate a lie became a lie it immediately was filled with darkness and became an expression of the darkness so much so that God said every thought of their of their imaginations is only evil all the time that's because the human soul was created to be this living sponge for a nature and that nature quickly was the the, the nature of satan the nature of sin the nature of adam which is all the same thing and and, and yet it still was created to function as this nature that, that becomes the living showcase and recipient and vessel for a nature. And so he sends Joshua into that land and he says, save the land, but kill everything that's in it. Remember, that's basically what he says. We want to save the land, because I created it for my own increase, for my own glory. But kill everything that breeds. Don't even let the donkeys live, you know? Man, woman, and children, kill them all. And I know those pictures are ugly, but they're pictures of a reality that that are so important for us to understand. God puts His Son in you, and He says, crucify it all. Put it all to death. Why? Because it's been a hostile territory since the beginning, since the Garden of Eden. Because it's been filled with a contrary seed from the very beginning. There's nothing in it. Saul, don't let the best of it live. Don't let any of it live. Don't try to offer any of it up to God either. You remember how, that's that's what Saul wanted to do. He kept the best of it and he kept it to offer up to God. And he lost the kingdom because, for that reason. Because that is not how the kingdom works. Saul was not representing the... He was the king, but he was not representing the kingdom. And so the kingdom was taken away from him and given to one who would actually destroy all flesh until that land was filled up with the priesthood filled up with a fragrance filled up with an offering filled up with a ministry filled up with a transformation until that land until every corner of that land was was, was conquered by this king and became expressive of his government that's the kingdom of God it's not words that are true about Jesus it's the power of Jesus himself Subjecting all things to himself. Do you see what I'm saying? It's not. That's what Paul is saying here in 1 Corinthians four twenty. It's not words that are true about Christianity. It's not Christian words. It's not even a Christian book. Although the book describes the one who is the power, the, the kingdom itself isn't Christian activities. It's Christ forming Himself in your soul. It's a life that reigns. It's a light and a life. That takes dominion and kills things and establishes other things and, and and casts down things and yet raises up truth and 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 removes from you everything that's contrary to it and yet leaves the land alive by the life of a new king. Not I, but Christ who lives in me. I've been everything that I've known as my life. David seems to want to kill it. David comes in with his sword and he starts just chopping it up. And yet I live, yet not I. But but Christ who lives in me, there's life. And yet it's not the life that I've always known. That life was crucified. That life was put to death. And usually the, the, the only power <clears throat> that we know in the body of Christ uh, is uh, maybe, uh, you know... I, it, to some people i think uh they would say it's just a, maybe a powerful sermon or a, or a, i don't know you know people and then other people that are more charismatic or pentecostal it's the power of the holy spirit or the power and that i don't want to take away from you know the reality of what the holy spirit can do and has done in the body what the true <clears throat> power of god is is an and I, I, let me just say it in a way that it's working in my heart. It's an it's a inward kingdom. It's a kingdom of light and life that spreads, that grows in the human soul. It's, it's being conformed to the image of God. It's being subjected to the power of the risen Christ. It's coming into alignment and congruency With the life that God has put in your soul. Because if you don't experience the increase of this kingdom. Then you're like the days of the judges. Where there is Israel in the land. And yet they're constantly being pushed back by the Philistines. The land is not experiencing the reign of Israel. It's experiencing the reign of the Philistines. And yet Israel's in the land. And that's I believe how most Christians live and and i wrote down here some some people might say <clears throat> you know jason you make everything internal and spiritual and uh, i will so happily take that criticism <laughs> you know if you want an external kingdom go ahead and keep looking for it that's what the jews did if you want if you want to wait for a kingdom of god in the future be my guest, you know, I mean I feel bad for you, but if, if I'm I'm not here to argue with people that want to hold on to an external future natural kingdom. What I want is the life of Christ reigning in the soul of man. That's what I want. What what I want is the spirit of God taking possession, conquering, destroying everything in me that is contrary to his king. That's what I want. And I make everything, I speak of everything as though it is internal and spiritual in the new covenant because I believe that's exactly what Jesus did. And that's exactly what the apostles describe in every letter. Although they touch on the way that that affects natural You know, things as well. The substance of it and the reality of it is an internal spiritual thing. And the purpose of God, I believe with all my heart that we will miss, entirely miss the purpose of God if we keep waiting for it as an external thing in the natural realm. The purpose of God for your life. People sometimes, you know, a lot of times ask pastors or ask, you know, Christians, what's what's God's purpose for my life? What does He want me to do? He wants to establish His life and kingdom and glory in your soul. That's what He wants. That's His purpose. His purpose is the increase of Christ in you. So I'll stop at that and see if there's comments or questions.